And good morning, Palace family. Would you go ahead and stand up? We're going to do our declaration, and then we're going to get into the word of the Lord. Go ahead. and. All right, here we go. Let's do our declaration. Lord, today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. And as your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. And everybody said, Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You can be seated. The word this morning is a little bit lengthy, so we're going to let you be seated in that. If you do have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to be reading several verses of Scripture, verses 10 through 23. And it says this, So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they would bear the ark of the Lord, had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, and in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched before it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings... And peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dwelt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And so all the people departed, everyone to his house. And then David returned to bless this household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today! who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus and will be based in my own sight and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in, in honor. Therefore Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child 
unto the day of her death. Brother Marvin, would you stand and pray over this morning's word, please? Amen. So good to see everybody here. I had Josh to read my text. Y'all pray for me this morning. I'm very congested and I can't hardly breathe and my head is stopped up and it sounds like I'm speaking in a barrel to me and my voice is very weak. So y'all pray for me that I'll be able to deliver the word of the Lord. This week, as y'all know, we're on our series. We've been preaching a series. This is about the eighth sermon. We are revealing the six major spirits that's going to be unleashed against the church in the last night. Not the only spirits but the six major spirits that's going to be unleashed against the body of Christ in the last days right prior to the rapture of the church and the closing of the dispensation of grace, the church age. We've been preaching on that and we've been, we've been doing it. Uh, and we're revealing these spirits by symbolically through six different women or seven different women throughout the word of God. There's six spirits because two of the ladies in the word of the Lord that the Lord had given me was acting as one. And today we're going to be preaching on the fifth spirit, but we're going to be preaching on the sixth lady. And we're not going to be preaching it like we normally preach it because usually we begin to dissect that. We're going to be revealing her at the end of the sermon. It's going to be a little bit different than all of the other different ladies that we've been exposing. But today we're going to get into the word of the Lord. We had a a lot of the people wanted me to skip this Sunday because of our Winterfest. We got a lot of people gone on Winterfest with our youth. They're traveling, so be praying with them. A lot of our elders, a lot of uh, uh, our adults are even gone for chaperones. How many knows that children need chaperones, amen, or young people need chaperones? Uh, they've been gone for three days, and they're on their way back now, even as we speak, with a big convoy of vans and people. So we want to be praying for them. They ought to be arriving here sometime this afternoon. But we're glad that you're here this morning. Look at somebody and tell them, you're glad that you're sitting in the house of the Lord with your brethren today. Would you do that, please? Amen. Tell them they look better than they've ever looked before. And if you can't say that honestly, just say you're different than you've been before. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's get into the word of the Lord this morning. You know, the story of our text is not a stranger to most of us. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most popular stories preached in the whole word of God. And I do not want its familiarity to cause us to zone out and not hear or pay attention to what God is actually saying to us and revealing to us in Scripture. Because if we're not careful, as we go through this outline, do it to its familiarity, we'll have tunnel vision and we'll only see what we've always seen and we'll only hear what we've always heard. And we'll not see what God is actually wanting to say to us. And God's wanting to say something to 
to us. Very powerful and very real here today. I was telling my wife yesterday, I said, I, I, I'm just sick at myself. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I've been studying all week and the more that I study, the more I find out that I don't know nothing. I've been preaching the word of God for over 30 some years and I have found out that the more I scratch and the more I dig and the more there's just buried treasure there that I've never seen before. And if we're not careful, we'll just read over a verse of scripture and we'll not pay attention to what it's actually saying. And I've come to understand that, 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 that there, there is no preaching out the word of God. It is a lie and it is a, it, it is a living organism. It is the word of God. It is God's presence himself. Can you say Amen. And I'm so excited about preaching to you here today. We all know the introduction to the story. We know where Israel's at. Here's Saul, he's king, and he has a problem that the Philistine armies gathered around him, pushed him in the corner, challenged him, fixed to set up a, a, a big army to come up against Israel. And here's King Saul. He unites Israel's army, and he goes up and he begins to fight against them. But the problem was, under Saul's leadership, the worship of the Lord had languished. Saul had disobeyed the Lord. Lord's command through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 13. It would not be the last time that he would disobey. This guy never could get it right. This is the first time that he begins to disobey him and then he disobeys him in the same manner later on and, and every time that he does, more privileges is being taken away from him. But prior to Saul going up against the Philistines, Samuel the great prophet ordered him to tarry for seven days at Gilgal. That is very important. I wish that I could preach there for just a little bit. Seven, of course, is a very important number to us. We've been revealing that number seven. It's the number of completion. It is the number, God's number, and it is an appointed time. How many knows what God's going to do with you as, as it is at an appointed time? It's at God's appointed place, and God knows what he's doing. Can I have an amen? But after the seven days, Samuel promises him at the end of those seven days that he would come to him and offer up sacrifices and that he then he would direct Saul in what to do. Here's Saul, he's outnumbered, he's overwhelmed, and here's the prophet Samuel saying, whatever you do, you stay in your position, you stay at Gilgal, you stay there for seven days, at the end of seven days, I'll come to you, I'll make the sacrifices, the appropriate sacrifices that's needed, I will hear from God as the prophet, then I will give you direction in what you need to do. Aren't you glad that God's got a way for you to find direction and revelation in the time of your need? How many says amen to that. God never leaves us clueless. God shows his will to his people. And here's Samuel uh, giving him direction. But Saul and his lack of patience, uh, went and it, when it seemed like that Samuel was not going to show up on that seventh day, he, because Samuel comes late that afternoon, he does not come in the early breaking morning like, like Saul thought he would. But Saul then begins to lose patience and he begins to move within himself. Most battles, listen to me, are lost at the very threshold of promise. Most battles are lost at the very edge of victory. Most battles are lost at that very midnight hour. Most battles are lost in the waiting period when we've waited so long and fought so long. We've been in the battle forever and it's at the end right at the very end that it seems like that more battles are lost. Most battles are lost right at the moment of break, daybreak. Right before the victory comes, it is the most crucial and the most important warfare that you'll ever face. There's just something about the threshold that brings about the most intense warfare and push back from your enemy. Right when you're about to receive, right when you're about to break over, right when you're about 
to have the hand of God and the, and the touch of God manifested in your life, that is the most intense time of warfare that you'll ever face. When you're at the brink of a breakthrough, you face the most forceful opposition that you've ever faced within your life. It's stronger than any battle that you'll ever face. It's stronger than any influence that you've ever come up against. It is a most powerful time of warfare that you'll ever experience. And the spirit, the spiritual wickedness in high places that we preached about last week, know that it's their final attempt to stop you from your manifestation season. Remember, we have certain spirits that try to keep you in, locked up and in prison, and then we see that when they can't keep you in, when they can't keep you enslaved, then there are other spirits that try to keep you from entering in. And I'm here to tell you we are fighting these last three ladies that is out to try to stop us from going into our manifestation season because we are free. We're free in Jesus Christ. We are made more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave his life for us. And I'm here to tell you that the same enemy, uh, the same Lord that freed us from the enemy is the same Lord that's going to help us to go in to our promise. Do you believe that this morning? If you do, give the Lord praise for excitement. My goodness, let him know you believe it. Amen. But more battles is lost during the entryway into the threshold of promise than any other time in the whole battlefield. This is because we get impatient and we lose heart through the six days of enemy assault positioning themselves for raid. For six solid days, here come the Philistines. Some call them Philistines, and there's different names to pronounce it. But they begin to gather and they begin to build an army. Day after day, the Israelites will look out there and there'll be more today than there was yesterday. For six solid days, there's that number six again. You remember the number six? It's the number of man. And we also know that, it, 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 that six days is the same thing as us facing those six spirits in the last days, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But it's during this time that the enemy begins to seem like overwhelmingly surpass us, surpass us and come around us that, and begin to build an army of influence to try to take us out. And we see, we see what's taking place. We feel the power of struggle. We're, we're up against the hardships of those enemy influences. And it's there that we get faint-hearted if we're not too careful and we begin to lose our faith. Faith. faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidences of things not seen. And we have to hold on to our faith because this is he that has the victory. It is he that overcometh the world, even our faith. Listen to what it says about the Israelites after seeing the enemy surround them and positioning themselves to attack them in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. And it says that the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight against Israel. They had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sands of the sea. They're facing overwhelming obstacles. They're facing overwhelming odds. There's so many more Philistines than there are the Israelites. It's unbelievable. And when I faced those six spirits in that dream that I told you about, let me tell you, you remember me giving the description of that dream, how overwhelmed that I felt, how powerful they seemed to be, how intimidating they were. Folks, we are truly fighting in these last days against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. They're strong, they're evident, they're intimidating, they're forceful, and I want to tell you they're mean, they're vicious, they're seductive in nature, they'll deceive, and they have one aim.
aim and one goal, and that is to take you out and destroy and to kill you. Can I have an amen? We understand that. We know where we're at. We're right here at the last days when the enemy wants to silence the voice of the church and we're at that very threshold when God is saying, arise, oh beautiful church. I've got the provision for you to have what it takes to overcome. Do you believe that? If you believe that, lift up your hand and praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Help me here today, God. Now look with me at what happened to Israel. Because of the circumstances, how many believe that sometimes we're controlled more by circumstances than what we think? Instead of living out the life of faith, living out what the word of God, living out faith in the word of God, we get overwhelmed by circumstances, don't we? Some of you are telling the truth. We got a bunch of liars in the house of the Lord, though. Amen. We've all been there when we've allowed circumstances to dictate to us our level of belief. And here we see in verse 6, and when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, it says. Now here's Israel, they're distressed. Then the people of Israel did hide themselves in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in high places, and in pits. They literally were so overwhelmed that they get afraid and they go out here and they begin to hide from the enemy. They don't want to face their enemy. You remember in the dream, one of the things that the Lord made me do is when I begin to say, I got to ignore these seven women, these seven spirits, six spirits, and the Lord said to me, ignoring them will not make them go away. He said, you have to address them and face them. We're in a challenge of our life. You can't go hide and tuck your head in the sand and act like nothing's going to happen like an ostrich. If you do, the enemy's going to overwhelm you and overtake you. It's time to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get a hold of your faith and say, I am, a, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a child of God. And if God be for me, who can be against me? And I'm going to stand. And when I do all that I know to do, I'm going to stand by faith and I'm going to believe God to do the rest. Can I have an amen? We got to believe in God to come through for us. At the closing moments of the seventh day, they get a faint-hearted and they cannot wait upon the promise of the prophet to deliver the instructions from the presence of God. Even though it's promised. How many knows we've had prophetic word at time after time? Undeniable prophetic word over this church. Don't get faint-hearted, folks. It will come to pass. Look at somebody says, it's coming. Say it with meaning, with passion. It's coming. Oh, now praise him for it if you think it's coming. Amen? Some of the saddest things that we see just a few hours away from victory, Saul moves prematurely and forfeits blessing and aborts manifestation. Isn't that sad? Right just a few hours away, they have fought, they have, the, Saul had fought many battles with the Philistines prior to this at different places and won. And now they're gathered at Gilgal and they're sitting there waiting for the prophet to come and give them instruction and they're getting overwhelmed and they're falling apart and now we're seeing right at the break of their breakthrough, here is the leader getting faint-hearted because of the people. He makes an excuse to what he does and says, it's because the people were distressed. Just because you're distressed does not mean you're checked out. Paul said, I am distressed, but I'm not overcome. Come on, somebody help me. I'm pushed down, but I'm not counted out. Can I amen? We do face some hardships. We do get battle scars and wounds in the battle, but that don't mean that we have lost the war. 
Can I tell you? It's time that we understand that we are in a war and we are to fight a good warfare and we are to be good soldiers of the cross and we're to stand up in faith and believe that that which God has promised, he'll bring to pass. And here is this prophet telling them to stay at Gilgal, but here's Saul saying the people are distressed. And right at the brink of the manifestation of God, which is the darkest hour, Saul begins to do something that many of you and I have done before. He begins to move in himself. More battles are lost right at the end of the war than in the beginning of the war and the middle of the war. Saul then offers a sacrifice without Samuel. And this is not accepted. How many knows only the priest can offer the sacrifice, not the king? That's God's order at this time. And Saul begins to institute his own religion. It's called secular humanism. It's where we begin to trust in the works of our own hands. And Saul relied upon his own self-sufficiency to make things happen. And all too often when it doesn't appear that God is going to move and come through for us and it doesn't seem that he's going to keep his promise and he's not going to move on our behalf, after a long wait, we get impatient and we take matters into our own hands and disaster happens. This has happened more times than ever before. Just because there's a waiting period and there seems to be that pause, that does not mean that you're being denied. Delays is not denials. And sometimes we get to thinking, oh, God's just not going to come through. God's just not going to come through. And we get all bent out of shape and we get tired of waiting and we get tired of being patient and we move in ourselves and we make a mess of things. And then we wonder, God, why did you allow that to happen? It's because we were stubborn, stiff-necked, and rebellious in our own nature and would not take the word of God at face value and believe it. And we moved in ourselves, and we began to then reap the consequences and the, reap the consequences of our own flesh. Can I have an amen? Just like when Abraham and Sarah could not wait for the promised child Isaac to be born, you know what happened? They moved in themselves and Ishmael, the seed of flesh, was born. And he has been a thorn in Israel's side ever since that day. Saul determined to engage the Philistines without Samuel's direction. The Bible says that when Saul perceived that Samuel wasn't going to come, he said, bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings. And then it says, and he offered the burnt offering. Now listen to verse 10 of chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. And as soon, say as soon, as Saul had made an end of offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. He gets tired of waiting. He's frustrated. He sees Israel distressed. Now he gets fearful and out of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and the power and of a sound mind. Don't let fear dominate your life. Fear is the opposite of faith. And we see that he gets all worked up in himself and he moves in himself and he offers the offerings and immediately when he does, thinking Samuel's not gonna show up, as soon as the burnt offering's done, he turns around and there stands Samuel. Samuel says, what in the world are you doing? And then Saul begins to make his excuses. But can I tell this congregation, congregation something this morning? Folks, God don't lie. You can count on God showing up. He's never late and he's always right on time. Remember, it's the fourth watch of the night when he comes to Peter and them in the middle of the storm when they were out in the boat. The fourth watch of the night is the last watch of the night. The fourth watch is right before daybreak. Folks, they sit out there all night long fighting that boat, belling that boat, trying to keep that boat afloat, and Jesus did not come until daybreak. The weeping endures for a night. Joy's coming in the morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. It may seem that you have waited forever, 
the night may have been long and tiresome and you're sitting there, but I want to tell you the day star will appear if you will just hold on and not abort the promise. And the word day star, you know what it actually means? The light bringer will show up to you. The light bringer will come in the midst of your darkness. Due to Saul's disobedience, the favor of God was lifted off of his life. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14. Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he has commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established the kingdom of Israel upon you forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out him a man after his own heart, which is David. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord had commanded thee. Now, as a result of his disobedience, we know that he was never able to return the Ark of the Covenant, which was stolen back to Israel. Saul never achieved that. How many know that? As a matter of fact, Saul never made even an attempt to return the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. How sad is that? This speaks of his apathy. This speaks of his lack of vision. It speaks that he's not a good leader. His leadership was flesh-driven. He was self-ruled. He was self-governed. He wasn't spirit-led, but he done what was right in his own sight. He offered his own sacrifices, offered his own offerings, and done it his way. This speaks of over 50% of the church world today, they say. Their theme song of today is, I've done it my way. They don't wait patiently for answers. They don't seek for divine leading. They don't look to spiritual guidance or advice. They don't receive instruction or follow direction from the word of God. They don't even read the word of God. They don't have devotions. They don't seek the will of God for a period of time. They don't pray over situations. They don't fast, nor do they seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Most Christians today get impatient, jumping out, following their own impulse of the flesh and what seems right to them out of their common sense, that's what they do. And then they wonder why there's no victory or no manifestation of the Spirit of God in the church. Can I have an amen? The people cried in the earlier stages, we want a king. God said, I'll be your king. No, we want a king. We don't want you as our king. We want a fleshly king that we can handle, touch, and see, and feel. There's that lack of faith stuff. And then all of a sudden, he said, okay, I'll give you a king. And they gave him King Saul. So God gave him Saul, and under the leadership of Saul, Israel lived by the arm of flesh, just existing and just maintaining. How many's tired of just existing? Just maintaining. Status quo, mediocre. I don't want a mediocre church. I want a church of fire. Fire of the Holy Spirit. How many's ready for a spiritual church? How many's ready to be a spiritual church? Not just be the status old church where you go in and you know everything that's always going to happen. There's never an element of mystery. There's no moves of God. There's nothing strange. There's nothing above our own thinking taking place. And we sit here year after year after year after year doing the same old thing, having the same old results. Oh, God, help us. I'm ready for something different. How many's ready to go into a manifestation spirit presence? How many's ready to go into the presence of God? Can I have an Amen. All through the reign of Saul, they lived without the Ark of the Covenant. They lived without the visible, tangible presence of God. Did you hear that? Saul never seen that. Though a king, he never seen the visible, tangible presence of God because God dwelt in that Ark. For 20 years prior to Saul, they believed that the glory of God had departed. You remember I preached that sermon about Ichabod. When in reality, Israel had a prophetic promise over them. Just because that little mother said, I'll name him Ichabod because of the death of her son who was the priest of Israel, that whole Israel bought into the fact that God's glory had departed when God's glory had not departed. 
Saul had neglected the ark. He left it in obscurity on the border of Israel somewhere. The ark was in the land, but not on display. Does that sound familiar? The presence of God is in the land, in the church, but it's not on display. We are just like Saul if we're not careful. We're neglecting the presence of God even though he's in the land, he's in the church, he's in our midst. How do I know he's in our midst? Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's here. Can I have an amen? God's here. Then why isn't he on display? Why don't we see the moves of God like we've seen in yesteryears? I remember on Ninth and Cedar when we were pastoring there, many of you were there and you remember that every time that the children would come home from Winterfest, the church was right. The presence of God was moving in strange ways and in strong ways. And when they would come in from Winterfest after being in a retreat all week long or all for three or four days and they were tired and they had no sleep, I was talking to Elder Richardson some time ago. I think it was him. And I said, you ready for, are you ready for all of this? He said, I guess. I said, get ready, old man. You're fixing to get no sleep. And they come in and their eyes are barely open, but that they would come off that bus and they would run in the services and the glory of the Lord would just fall in that place and people would begin to dance and lift up their hands and shout and they'd speak in tongues and they would cry and they would weep. I remember I got up to preach and right when I got up to preach, they came in and the glory of the Lord was so strong that it just took over the service. How many's ready to it's like when Solomon offered the tent was offering uh, was dedicating the tabernacle of the temple that the glory of the Lord had came down in such a measure that the priest could not minister. How many's ready to see that again? Oh God, help us! But I'm afraid all too often we're just like Saul. We're more fleshly driven than what we think. We just maintain doing status quo. We're going through the religious rituals, following the traditional, uh, traditional procedures. We just follow religious protocol and patterns, offering, uh, offering our, our offerings and doing our status quo. We're singing our songs, playing our music. But let me say this. We're not only to be praising him in the sanctuary. We're not only to be praising him with the sound of the trumpet and with the psaltery and the harp. We're not only to be praising him with the tremble and the dance. We're not only to be praising him with stringed instruments, organs, and loud cymbals and, and high-sounding cymbals. But listen to what else we're to be praising him with. We're to be praising him for his mighty acts. Why is it that we put all the emphasis on everything else? But we need to be praying for what he's doing in our midst. Amen. There should be a display of the glory of God in and amongst his people and in and amongst his church. He still divides seas. He still splits rivers. He still calms his rages storms. He still shuts the mouths of lions. He still protects from the fiery furnace. He still opens prison cells. He still raises the dead. The wind and the sea still obey his voice. He still commands it to rain and it rains. He still causes bushes to burn in the desert like he did with Moses' manifestation. He still speaks from roosters like he did to Peter. That's manifestation. He still speaks to a mule like he did to Balaam. That's manifestation. He still puts money in fish's mouth. That is manifestation. He still shows up in the fiery furnaces like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's manifestation. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove still lights upon the body of Christ. Uh, and that is manifestation. Let me tell you, God is still concerned and is he still with his people? Amen. Can I tell this congregation, God isn't only in the land, but God is very active and he's ready to move on our behalf. God has not departed from the church. He's very much alive, very much, he's very well and he's ready to manifest himself. We have to believe that. 
That's why 2 Chronicles 16 and 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who, whose heart is perfect toward him. Who have, but then he looks at Israel, But you have done a foolish thing, O Israel, and from now on you'll be in war. Here's God, just like in the time of Saul. God wanted to show himself strong on their behalf, but due to his rebellion and his unwillingness to be spirit-led, and he moves within his flesh, Saul was killed in battle by the edge of his own sword, and Israel remains in war to this day, or did that day. And God has so much more for us that we can't even imagine what he's got for us. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor does it enter the heart of man the things that God's got prepared for them that love him. That's not just about the things in heaven, that's about the things right now. But we will not receive those things if we do not learn how to come into the presence of God. We cannot live outside of the manifested presence of God and expect to see God's movement and God's power. We cannot keep doing the things in our own way, doing our own thing, and trusting in the arm of flesh. The carnal mind is an enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Why? Because the things of God are spiritually discerned. After the death of Saul, David comes in on the scene and he recognizes that the land is void of the manifested presence of God. The first thing that we got to do is have it in a minute. There's a void of the presence of God. That God's full reign is not being manifested. Is he not supposed to be Lord? If he's Lord, then why don't he have full control? Why don't he have full reign? As uh, Brother Tozer said, I think it was Brother Tozer, he said, people want a savior, but they don't want a Lord. And here we are, old Pilots. We got to make up our mind. Is Jesus going to be Lord of our lives? And here we have a dilemma that David comes on the scene and he says, I perceive something as a leader, that we are void of the presence of God. The ark is not with us. But he also is aware that the presence of God in the form of the ark of the covenant was tucked away. He's heard about it in an obscure place somewhere in Israel. Somewhere is in an unknown place, God's presence was tucked away. Somewhere in an undiscovered and unknown place laid the Ark of the Covenant. And David had heard that the Ark was in the land, but he was uncertain exactly where its whereabouts was at. Here we have an awareness of presence, but it's a veiled presence. It's known, but it's unseen. It exists, but it's not discovered. It's alive but it's not experienced. It's perceived, but it's not found. Can I tell you, here we have what we call hidden presence. We have a presence in the land, but concealed from the view and the notice of others. We have a presence that remains in secret. That sounds so much like the day that we're living in in a lot of churches, doesn't it? The church knows of the presence of God, preaches it, testifies it, but never sees it. The church is aware of his presence, but mainly it's a veiled presence. Though his presence is amongst us, yet it remains mostly hidden, unnoticed, concealed, and never discovered by many. God help us to not only by faith know there's a presence, let us feel and sense and experience and see the manifested presence of God. I've experienced, I could tell you stories in my life of the manifested, manifested presence of God so many times in my life, overwhelmingly. I have literally seen with my own eyes the haze of the Holy Spirit in church services. 
where God had revealed it to me. I've had God to move upon me in such a way. Randy West, some of the most powerful testimonies about the presence of God was when he seen the fire in his laundry room. And God had met him there in a laundry room as he prayed and travailed before the presence of God. Don't tell me that God ain't alive and well. I've seen him. I've experienced him. I've walked my woods in the middle of the night and the manifested presence of God hit me so strong that I wondered what in the world I was going to do. I have been at altars where the presence of God was so strong that I was afraid to open my eyes to of what I might see. Let me tell you something, God. The, guys, this tangible, visible presence of God is a reality to the church in the 21st century. David then begins to seek out the Ark of the Covenant. Wow, what a leader. We don't have no presence. We don't have no Ark. I know it's tucked away somewhere. I gotta find out where it's at. He goes on the search. If we've lost the presence of God, we better be going doing the search for it. David begins to seek out that which has been misplaced. David longs for the manifestation. of the. He, there's a longing. There's a passion building up in David's heart. Are you got a passion for the things of God? Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, palace of praise, are you ready? If you're ready, stand to your feet and begin to praise the Lord for that which you're about to receive. Praise him like you're going to receive. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Are you hungry? Do you got a passion? Do you got a desire? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? How bad? Just how bad do you want it? How hungry are you? Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're the ones that's going to be filled. How many want it? This is where we're getting to. You may be seated. David begins to seek out the Ark Covenant. David begins to seek out that which has been misplaced, the misplaced presence. Isn't that something? David longs, hungers, wants, desires, Passionate, even in the Psalms you read when he writes them, as a deer panteth after the water brook, oh God, my heart panteth after you. Amen? It's not good enough to know it. David wants to discover it. Amen? David didn't want the presence of God to be a four-off, and he didn't want to be estranged or a four-off from the presence of God. He wanted to be brought near to the presence of God. How many wants to be brought near to the presence of God? David wanted the presence of God to be the centerpiece in the Israel again, in the nation. David earnestly desired for it to be brought back in Jerusalem. His passion was to restore the presence of God to the center of the nation. And only those that desire will discover it. Only those that seek will see it. Only those that fight for it will actually find it. It's odd to me how that I've been in many services where the glory of God hit people and there are people that are sitting there so void of the presence of God and don't even know what's taking place. As a matter of fact, if they're not careful, that which is being displayed through manifestation on the lives of others, they'll criticize it because they don't understand it. Amen? Palace of praise, we have to get back in love for the presence of God. We gotta get in love with it. We have to get back to seeking, asking, knocking, we have to get back to hungering, thirsting. We have to have a passionate desire and to see and experience the glory of God. We have to tarry for his presence. That's one th art that's lost in the church is tarrying before the presence of God. 
doesn't mean that you tarry all day long, but just take some time. Just like when Peter and them went out with Jesus, Peter and James, and he set them down. He said, watch him pray with me. Went a stone throw, and he prayed, and he come back and found them sleeping. And Jesus said, could not you tarry with me just one hour? All I ask of you is one hour, guys. I put my life into you, and you can't give me an hour of attention. He goes back out, a stone's throw away, prays again a second time, come back, guess what? He still finds them sleeping. He said, sleep on, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You're just a flesh-driven church, is what he was saying at that point. Sleep on. We have to have a passionate desire, an overwhelming desire, to where we can't eat, we can't sleep, it's uncomfortable. Right now, I've been seeking the presence of God, and I am in one of the most uncomfortable times of my life. I am not sleeping. I just think, oh God, when are you going to lighten up on me? It seems like that God's speaking more to me in my sleep than any ever time before. He wakes me up in the middle of the nights, and it's a very uncomfortable thing at times. You have to get up. You have to roll out. God sometimes wants to just see how much effort and how much sacrifice you're willing to put in to find his presence. How, how hungry are you really? What are you willing to deny? Are you willing to push back the plate and fast? Are you willing to get up in the middle of the night and be inconvenienced? Are you, are, are you willing to tarry for a while? Are you willing to lock yourself up in that closet of prayer that we're supposed to be in? Because he said, if we'll pray in secret, he'll reward us openly with the presence of God. This is where we're at. This, we're at a pinnacle. We're at the threshold of entering into something great. But we've got to hang on in this last moment fire and desire it with all of our hearts. Amen? Jeremiah understood this. He declared what God said in Jeremiah 29 and 13. You will seek me, God says, and find me when you seek with me with all your whole heart. Can I tell you today that God wants you to discover him? That he's not elusive, that he's not in hiding God wants you to discover him. God is not against us. He's not angry with you. His welcome mat is out. Did you know God's porch light stays on all the time? His face is not turned against you. He's not tired of you, and neither are you too needy for him. 1 Peter 5 and 7 actually says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. His thoughts toward you are so many that you cannot count them. According to the Psalms, his plans to you, according to Jeremiah, are good. And when you sit in the ashes of a broken life, guess what? He still loves you. When, you are, when you're surrounded by the consequences of a thousand bad choices, he still loves you. When you're mixed up and messed up, he's not fed up with you. Can I have an amen? When you're stripped of dignity, uh, he, he sees you clothed in majesty. As a matter of fact, at your lowest point of life, he still loves you. How do I know that? Because Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved and gave himself for us. Amen? Even though the Israel was living short of her purpose, even though she was failing God in her worship, even though they were operating in the arm of flesh, yet God longed to return back for them to, God longed for them to return back to him. God did not want them to be ravaged in war. That wasn't God's plan for Israel. Upon David finding out where the Ark of the Covenant was located, he sets out to renew the nation to the worship of Yahweh again. He sets out to bring the long neglected Ark back into the new capital city of Jerusalem. He does this as a sign of the Lord that the two, true king of Israel is once again in the midst of of his people, that God's here, that God's present. Now, hang on with me. The first thing that David does is he brings the whole assembly of Israel to get them to buy into 
the decision to bring back the ark. Listen to what he says in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 2 through 3. Let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and their pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Now here's what David's saying. David's saying, hey, we got to get everybody on board. Everybody's got to catch the vision here or it's not going to happen. He says, go out into all of the villages, in the cities, in the pasture lands, out in the uh, small, obscured places and find everyone you can to bring them in because this is going to be a joint effort. It cannot be done just by a few good men. It's got to be done by the nation of Israel itself. And then it says, he, he goes, let us bring back the ark of God to us for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Did you hear that? The whole time that Saul reigned, they never required for the presence of God to be brought in. You know how many years that was? 42. 42 years they were void of the presence of God and didn't care, didn't even acquire for it. Can you imagine that? 42 years without any felt presence from the Lord, without any tangible Visible reality of the presence of God. It was just maintaining through flesh. Doing the protocols, offering the sacrifice. Can you imagine offering sacrifices without blessing? And yet churches do it all the time. No blessing, no presence. For God to move in the proportion of transforming a nation, all the people had to be involved. This cannot be just a leadership thing or a certain desire for a few good men and women. This has to be the body thing. It has to be the church unified and wanting the presence of God so bad that they're willing to do anything to get it. They have to pursue it. Are you willing to pursue it until you find the presence of God? How hungry are you? Are you satisfied with the results of the reign of Saul? When they did not inquire of him, are you satisfied with the status quo? Are you satisfied with the works of your own hands and what it produces? To make a long story short, David goes after the ark. He makes a mistake. He puts it on a cart, and that's a Philistine way. He allowed culture to dictate his worship. They got caught up in self-styled, self-initiated worship. And can I tell you, they'd done their own thing through their own rituals. It was never intended for them to put it on a cart to pull the presence of God. They had to bear it by the priest on the shoulders of men. Can I tell you that there was to be a sacrifice of worship. It was to be a burden to be bared upon the shoulders of men. Praise and worship was never intended to be easy or made to be comfortable. It's a hard thing sometimes to pray in your dark hour. Sometimes it's hard to hang on by faith in the midst of unprevailing circumstances. Come on, somebody help me preach. It's hard to sit there hour after hour, day after day, night after night, doing all that you know to do, sitting there for six solid long days and not seeing any results. The Ark of the Covenant was to be born upon the shoulders of the yet, but they chose an easy way, a more comfortable way of handling the presence of God. Even though David had Best intentions, even though David's motives were right, even though David's heart was pure, yet God did not accept things just because his intentions and his motive was right and his heart was pure. People say, well, God knows your heart. He knows what you meant. It don't matter you got good intentions. It don't matter that you got good motives. I want to tell you, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Worship must be done right. It must be done God's way. 
And they messed up. You know how the story ends up, how that the auction, auction, you know what that means? Man's strength is what the word auction means. That's a symbol of man's strength. The auction was carrying the ark on the cart. They stumble. The best of man's going to stumble. And when they do, the ark begins to get, uh, it begins to shake. It begins to get unstable. A man by the name of Uzziah reaches out and touches it. When he does, God strikes him dead. Fear hit David. Fear hit all the house of Israel. And David said, I will not bring the ark of the Lord into the city of David. And it says, and David feared the presence of God because he'd done it the wrong way. And even though there was a desire for the presence of God and even a pursuit for it, yet the spirit of Saul had not been totally overcome. And no matter how convenient, no matter how much easier, no matter how much more comfortable it is to do things in the flesh, if it's not done God's way, it will not be blessed. It has to be done God's way for it to be blessed. David takes the Ark of the Covenant to a man's house by the name of Obadiah. He goes back to Jerusalem without the Ark, without the manifested presence of God. He's shamed. He's embarrassed. He's belittled. He's failed. The Ark remains three months at Obadiah's house, and a word comes back to Jerusalem in the ear of David and said, man, God is just blessing the socks off of Obadiah's house. There's the manifested presence of God. There it is at Obedium's house. And it's manifested to everybody. They see it. They know it. Said, man, down there, he's having revival, his own personal revival. Our house is turned inside out and upside down. God is blessing Obedium's house. And David said, well, I'll no longer be afraid of the presence of God. I got to find out what went wrong. He began to go back and study and wrote, read the Torah and he found out where's the mistake made. And he said, I got to get the priest. That's supposed to be buried by the priest and not be putting on a cart. So he goes and makes a second attempt to get the presence of God. How many attempts are you going to make just because you fell once? Are you going to stop? Just because you saw it and you saw it and you've wallowed the altars and you've done everything that you know to do and you're in your dark hour and it seems like that God's not going to show up. Are you going to be a Saul or are you going to be a David? Even if you mess up and do it the wrong way, you going to let that stop you? Hello? How much grit do you have? How much desire do you really have for the presence of God? Sometimes in our best intentions we fail, but that shouldn't stop us. Thank God for repentance. Thank God for a God of a second. Aren't you God? Thank you for God's a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a seventh chance and a thousand chance. Aren't you glad that God won't cast you off as long as there's a spark of desire? Matter of fact, he said a smoking flax. I will not despise. If there's just a little bit of amber there, I'm not going to discard you. If there's just a desire there, God's not going to throw you away. Isn't that wonderful? And David begins to say, hey, I'm going to rebuild I'm going to go out and I'm going to get away from my notes or we're going to be here till. Oh, Lordy. I ain't even got to my woman yet. <laughs> Lord, help me. Forgive me. David said, okay, I got to make a place for his dwelling. He gets a tent. He puts it up in Jerusalem. I'm going to have to skip a lot of good stuff. Forgive me. David builds a tent. He says, okay, I made a dwelling for him. It's in Jerusalem. He said, now I'm going after it. He goes after it and said, this time, boys, we're going to do it the right way. 
Hallelujah. He goes, he gets all the people again. Everybody's got to be on board. He said, this time only the priest shall bear up the ark. You do your job and we'll do our job, old David said. They bear up that ark and put it on their shoulders and they start carrying it. And David said, okay, the priest's job is to carry the ark, but my job is to do some praising. And David, it says, got out in front of that ark and he danced with all of his might. Are you ready? Are you listening to me? And here he goes. And he's worshiping God with all of his might. And it says, and all of the men with him, and them that played music, played on all kinds. He had an orchestra. He had trumpets. He had drums. He had, he had wind uh, uh, instruments made of wood. He had all the different kinds of instruments, and they prayed before the prayer, and they were worshiping God. Your presence is what ushers in the presence of God. He's ushering in the presence of God into Jerusalem by praise and worship. Can I have an amen? God inhabits the praises of them that, of them that worship him. I want to tell you that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means to dwell, to come in. The manifestation of God comes in on praise. When people are pure and they're doing it right and they're worshiping God in spirit and truth and they get all of the seduction and the deception of those forces that behind them and they're covered in the blood of Jesus and as they worship him, God comes down in the midst of his people. That's why Psalm 73 says, in Judah, which means praise, God is known. And then all of the, hey, I'm not preaching over to that side today. I'm doing pretty good, ain't I? I got a habit going over there. They're the most unruly bunch right over there. And here he is. He said, we're going to do everything we can. But here's something different. He says, every six steps, we're going to offer sacrifice. Every six paces. One, two, three, four, five, six, sacrifice. And you know what the Bible says that they sacrificed? Oxen and fatted calves. Oxen is meaning the strength of man, and the fatted calf is the best of meat. So you know what that means symbolically? You'll never get the presence of God until, first of all, you die out to everything your strength can accomplish, and you give your best to God. Not only do you got to get rid of the old man, but you got to give your best. You got to put something forward. You got to give the fatted calf. The fatted calf is the best meat. Everybody wants the fatted calf. They don't want the old cow. They want the fatted calf. What was it when the prodigal son came home? What did the father say? Go get the fatted calf and give to my son. Oh, I could preach right there, oh dear God. And so here they were, and they literally come up to the place of six steps and sacrificed an oxen. Sacrificed a fatted calf. From Obadiah's house to Jerusalem, was between 12 and 15 kilometers. That means that David offered over 5,000 sacrifices. Hard work. Slaughtering an oxen. Slaughtering a fatted calf. Preparing it for an offering. Blood and gut. There was a string of guts for miles. Blood everywhere. Blood all over everybody. Come on. It was a messy thing. It was hard work. And let me tell you, to get the presence of God back into the house of God, it's going to take some effort on our part to see it. 
just coming in and just, oh, Lord, show me your glory. That ain't going to get it. Can I have an amen? David said, I got to get rid of the strength of my own hands, the oxen, the strength of man. I got to recognize I can't do it with a new cart. I got to recognize it's got to be done God's way, but I got to give him my best. For 5,000 sacrifices, every six steps he offered that sacrifice. And when he did, he'd get blood all over him. You know what that's a symbol of? The first step, there's a safari influence, but he steps on her. The second step, you know what it is? It's Jehodiah and her, her daughter. The third step is Pharaoh's daughter. The fourth step is that little woman of the spirit of divination that I preached last week. You know what this one's gonna be? It's gonna be my Michelle who tries to stop him here in a minute. And then there's a sixth one we'll preach on next week. But I wanna tell you to overcome the spirits of the last days that's coming against the church. You gotta be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and you gotta have a sacrifice to praise the fruit of your lips giving praise unto God for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Oh, Sapphira stands up to intimidate under my feet, girl. Come on. Pharaoh's daughter, oh, Egypt stands up, whirling the step. You're under my feet. You refer back to Genesis 3.15. I gotta go on. David's coming in there and he gets so excited, he dances out of his kingly garment. Oh, man. Hours of preaching right there. And his wife, Michael, some call her Michelle, some call her Micah, I don't know. You listen to the different tapes of the different scholars, they can't agree on it. I'll call her what I want to call her. It's my sermon. It's Michael. She's standing in the palace in a window looking afar off, and she sees David coming in. And she gets mad as a hornet. Because David's given the best of praise. And let me tell you, if you're not a praiser, you'll never see the manifested presence of God. Statistics say that over 50% of the congregation does not ever worship in a giving service in America. Over half. And yet in the upper room when the Holy Ghost fell and that suddenly happened, it's because they were all in one spirit and one accord, having all things common, in one mind and one heart. That's why the blind man, you remember the blind man that set out at Jericho when Jesus come by and he heard that Jesus was out there, he cried out and the disciples and everybody around him said, shut up, hold your peace, don't bother the master. But it says, but he cried out so much the more. And when he did, he got Jesus' attention. It's the worshiper that gets Jesus' presence. You don't worship. You don't have a time to set worship. They say over two-thirds of the Christians in America do not have set side a time of worship outside of the church. And yet we're wanting to manifest the presence of God. It ain't going to happen. Here's David bringing it in. And his wife is an observer, and she gets so furiously mad and comes down and said, you've made a fool of yourself this day in front of the maidens, in front of the ladies' servants. Who do you think you are dancing out of your kitchen? In other words, she, she was more wanting the kind of worship that Saul 
her father instituted. She didn't want to lose control. She wanted a more controlled worship where you come in and you were dignified. And she didn't want to have to. She didn't want to have to get outside of herself. She liked that controlled, lethargic type worship where it's well ordered and well oiled and, and everybody knows what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it and it's all directed by the hand of man because she wanted to be dignified. She was of the royal seed. She was David's wife and Saul's daughter. And she comes down and she's mad as a hornet. And let me just say this. This is in my notes, and I just got my remembrance of it. An observer of worship will not remain neutral long. He will either become a worshiper or he'll become a despiser of worshiper. The person that just sits there in that place of observance, they won't sit there long. They'll either become a participator of worship or they'll become a criticizer of worship. Isn't that odd how you can have people just flamboyant, open, free in the worship and other people sitting back there? What was that all about? Well, you don't know where they come from and what God's done in their life. You don't know what God might just deliver them from. And you better be thankful they're worshiping the way they're worshiping because any felt presence you've ever felt is because of people like that. And she's so dignified and arrogant. She's wanting a comfortable, easy worship, a relaxed worship. Come on. And she begins to criticize David. David said, look, hey, you just shut up, old lady. Hey, I mean, he gets bold with her. Them two's kind of fell out of love anyway if you'll study the scripture. David had enough of her criticism. Who are you to criticize the king whom God has appointed? Don't you know it was God that appointed me to be the king and not your father? Don't you know the very reason that I'm here? It's because I'm God called, God anointed. This is a thing of God and your father. You know why he's rejected? Because he wouldn't do it. So you back off, old lady. And then he says, if you think I've been vile and you think I've been crazy, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he went out and made a fool of himself in worship again. And he magnified the Lord and he glorified the Lord and all of Israel participating with him. And old Michal goes up in the house sulking and the Bible says because of what she'd done, she was barren until the day she died and she could bear no children. Would you stand with me, please? If you're not careful... Right here, when you got a hunger and you're thinking, y'all are preaching it, but I'm not experiencing it. You're in that waiting process and while you're in that waiting process, you'll face those six spirits. Amen? And one of the last ones, not the last one, next week's the last one you'll face. But one of the last ones that you'll face is that old Mikhail. And she'll try to stop you from worshiping. She'll try to mock your worship, criticize your, make you feel embarrassed because of your worship. She'll try to hinder your worship. Somebody told me the other day, said, man, I could really worship over a ninth and cedar because I felt so much more comfortable, but these crowds intimidate me a little bit. Then you're allowing people to dictate to you the level of worship you're offering to God. You're allowing a Mikhail to silence your worship. 
I remember as a young boy, I learned my lesson. I had a woman at Gates that I had been working on for, oh, two or three years to get saved. She was a German lady. Her husband was a retired Navy man. And finally, we was having a revival over at Dudley at my local church, and I invited them to come. And one night, out of the blue, they showed up. And when they showed up, I said, oh, God, please don't let Rock and Ruby get up tonight. <laughs> Rock and Ruby was a little old lady that used to get up and run the aisles with her eyes closed. Woo! And she'd just have her a time, Lord, and she'd always go out, pass out. Then she'd flop like a fish. And I said, oh, God, please don't let Rock and Ruby get happy tonight. Please, God. Oh, she'll embarrass me. Please don't let that happen. We got about into the second song. Woo! I said, oh, no, Lord, let her just sit there. Let her just sit there. Whoop. Oh, God, and all of a sudden I could see her bottom. And I'm looking out of the corner of mine, I'm thinking, oh, and I'm praying against her. <laughs> Whoa! And out she came. She come down the aisle. Ooh. Down out in the front, down the aisle, come back, whoop, passed out. Flopped like a fish. But one thing she'd done that she normally did not do, she went all the way back to the back of the aisle. She hardly never went that far back. Right where they were sitting, they were sitting on the end pew back in the back. And she walked and got right up by the woman I'm talking about, Rosemarie, put her hand on her, whoa, like that, and took off running. I'm mad as a hornet. I go to work the next day. She comes up to me. Tears are coming down the side of her face. We have never experienced or felt anything like that before in our lives. And I said, oh, I'm so relieved. And there was something that was going to make me apologize for the heart, Ruby. And I felt a check in my spirit. And I didn't do it. And then she said, there was a little old lady so she started yelling in the front. So when she did, it was like something penetrating our hearts. And so she got out and she took off running. We've never seen anything like that. But when she come back and she touched me, it was like glory went through my body. And here's old Mikhail, righteous Kent, praying against her. Either we believe this thing to be real or we don't. Either we are who we say we are or let's take our name off of the thing, palace of praise, and let's go and let's just get a lethargic religion and come in and maintain until the Lord comes. for the presence of God. Would you enter in a time of worship with me right now? As a matter of fact, would you just kind of move this way as a congregation and lift your hands and worship?
If you're a visitor, you're more you're important. You come along if you desire. No pressure. We, but would you become a woman? Can we usher in the presence of God? Can we start this six-pace step? That's all for the sacrifice of praise. Huh? <laughs> don't let a Macau, don't let a Macau stop you from your worship. Don't be ashamed. Don't let the criticisms of your worship stop you. Those that will make fun and laugh at it and criticize it, slander it all over the internet. Don't pay attention to the Macaws. Worship him. Worship him. Shauna Lambert, the Holy Spirit's upon you right now. God is inhabiting your praise right now. You're at your sixth step. Offer sacrifice. And the train of his Don't let the soup slayers rob you of your praise. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Let all the people praise him. Let all the people praise him. Lord, let us praise him. Let us praise him the good times. Let us praise him the bad times. While I have any being, while I have breath, as David said, I will praise thee. We praise you in the morning. We praise you at noontime. We praise you in the going down of the sun.
one thing, and then I'm going to dismiss you here in a moment. We're going to worship just a little longer. David brought that ark back into the city of Jerusalem. Listen to this. This is so beautiful. And he takes it and he places it in that tent. Not a stone structure, not a wood structure, but a tent. Why? Because he erected what was known as the tabernacle of David. And in Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 13 through 18, I, I ain't got time to preach on it. A prophetic word comes out and God says himself, I am going to build again the ruins of the tabernacle of David and I'm going to set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, us, the church age, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doth all these things. God promises to return and build again the tabernacle of David and the way that he ministered during the tabernacle of David, he promises to minister to us Gentiles that is the residue, the remnant who seeks his face. That's a promise of God. He's saying, what I've done in the tabernacle of David, I'm going to do among you. The Gentiles, the residue, the remnant, the leftovers that's not being unfaithful. Now watch. He places it in a tent for two reasons. Number one, that the glory of God that was upon the Ark of the Covenant that at night they could see the visible flame of his presence and the people would look out and they would see that tent glow. Night they would go out, Louise. There was no need for light in that tent because the glory of the Lord was in it. And the people would see visibly, tangibly, the presence of God in that tent. They seen the visible presence. God saying, the way I ministered in the tabernacle day, the way I'm going to minister to you, the Gentiles. Now hold it, that ain't all. The tent was a physical tent, but Paul talks about how that we are the tent, the tabernacle of his dwelling. So this means that the visible, tangible reality of God is not just out there in a tent that we can see, but it houses in us. That all men might see that we are the inhabited with the presence of God. Oh, I could preach an hour right there. There's my little buddy. He's going to help me preach. Oh, you get, do I have to go into that? Oh, but there's another reason it was in a tent. A tent meant mobility. It meant God on the move. You couldn't make it with wood. You couldn't make it with stone. No, no, you put it in a tent. Why? Because wherever David and the Israelites went, the glory went with them. <laughs> Signs, wonders, and miracles will follow the church because God's put his inhabited, his inhabited presence in our lives. And now he shows his glory, not by a tangible, visible look in a tent, but he's going to do it through you, through you, through you, through you. You're going
going to work signs. You're going to work miracles. You're going to, you're going to do things that you thought you'd never do. The manifested presence of God is going to work through us, the church. We're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. And people's going to look and see, oh, the wonderful works of God. Oh, are you ready? Are you ready? All right, in closing, give the Lord the loudest, the most wonderful, magnificent, radical praise that you can possibly give. Two or three people to tell them you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord. God bless you. 